Hey everybody, good morning. If you're in back, come on, make your way towards the front. Uh, if you're sitting already, stand up, greet someone around you. We're going to get started in about 60 seconds. Let me call us to worship this morning. I'm sure some folks will be walking in with all the wind and snow going on outside in a little bit. But let me call us to worship this morning. I'm going to read from Psalm 104, Psalm 104, verses 31 through 34. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Lord God, this morning as we gather together as your people, as the local church, Lord God, we rejoice in the Lord. Lord God, we pray this morning that your glory would endure forever. Lord, you have promised it. God, we know it is true. God, may you rejoice in your works this morning. May that point us away from ourselves. May that point us away from anything that we are experiencing or thinking about or meditating on, anything that we are bringing here this morning. Lord God, may we move our focus off of that thing, Lord God, and onto you. God, we praise you this morning as your children, as those who have been adopted as sons and daughters of God through the shed blood of Jesus, the firstborn among many sons. Lord God, may we as your people this morning proclaim the excellencies of you, Lord Jesus, who have called us out of darkness into marvelous light. God, we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. God, we praise you. God, we thank you. God, may that which we sing this morning, may that which we read together, may that which we hear preached this morning be honoring and glorifying to you and to you alone. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things this morning. Amen.
Lord Jesus, God, we praise you this morning. It is, in fact, sweet to trust in you. Lord, you bring us rest and peace. And in the tumultuous weeks that we most certainly have had, Lord Jesus, you bring us rest and peace. And we recognize that there is nothing that can separate us from that rest and peace. If we've been washed in the blood of Jesus, God, you've made us right with yourself through, through the shed blood of Jesus. There is nothing that can put us at odds with you. Lord, and we desire to honor you now this morning. God, we praise you for the Spirit of Christ that comes and dwells inside of us. God, that directs us, that convicts us of sin. God, that prompts us, that illumines your word to us so that we might know who you are and who we are. God, and what you require of us in our everyday lives. And so we say, with what we just sung, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." God, we take you at your word this morning. Your word is truth. God, and we praise you for it. We praise you that we can go to it together as your people, be prompted by it, encouraged by it, spurred on by it. God, and may we use it as a, as a tool this week to encourage, prompt, and spur on one another to love and good works. God, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Well, go ahead and take your Bible with me and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to take another whole chapter this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we are. I'm going to back up into this, so I'm going to move it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, before we dive in this morning, if you haven't heard, this is, in fact, our last Sunday here in the Civic Center, and that comes with a bit of emotion because, uh, because of uh, the fact that we've been here for, for three years and, and, and we're, we're, moving, we're moving on. Um, last Sunday that we'll be worshiping here as Buffalo City Church and we'll begin worshiping at the new facility next Sunday and that, that feels a little strange, it feels a little weird here to be doing this one last time in this space, um, but the Lord has provided us an incredible opportunity as a church. He's provided us an incredible opportunity. Two congregations becoming one and finding together a permanent home for the sake of the gospel. Our mission here at Buffalo City Church to make disciples who make disciples. You know it. You know it. And a dramatic providence from the Lord. We don't want to overlook just how much God has done in our midst, Buffalo City Church. Will you consider this week with me how much the Lord has done in our midst in three years? He's done a lot. He's done a lot of things, and to him be the glory for all of those things. And he continues to give us opportunity upon opportunity, and that's the blessing. That's the blessing this morning, is that we continue as a church, as a congregation, as Buffalo City Church, we continue to have opportunity upon opportunity to make disciples who make disciples, to honor and glorify the Lord by knowing him and making him known. And we are excited as a church to move forward. 
We talk about this sometimes. There are just general realities of being a, a church, right? There are general realities of, of being a church. We have a budget. We have bills to pay. We have equipment to buy and, and replace. We have schedules to organize and on and on and on. Those things are realities when you're part of a local church. We talk about the church being sort of like a tomato plant because that's relatable because a lot of people have tomato plants. And, and when you grow a tomato plant in the spring in about five months from now, right? I think that's about right. Five months. You'll grow a tomato plant and probably have a tomato cage. And the plant grows up and you put the cage around the tomato plant as it gets bigger so that it doesn't begin to tip over. And when the fruit comes and when the plant gets bigger, it doesn't tip over and the fruit hit the ground and begin to rot out, right? That's why we put a cage around a tomato plant. And now if you take someone out to your garden and you're pointing out the tomato plants to them, you look at it and what you don't say is, hey, look at this wonderful tomato cage. This cage has really created such a wonderful opportunity for me. What you do is you take someone out to your garden and you say, point out these nearly red, nearly ripe tomatoes and you point at it and you say, Look at the fruit. Look, look at what's taken place. Look at what we're about to participate in together by consuming this, this tomato. This is awesome. And the point is this. We, Buffalo City Church, we, we, we choose to celebrate the fruit and not the structure. Not that the structure is not important, but we want to celebrate the fruit and not the structure. We want to be disciple makers and not just decision makers. We want to celebrate the tomatoes and not just the cage. We want to celebrate the producing of Christian maturity in the lives of the people of the local church. And not just the budget dollars that kept the lights on so he or she could read his Bible. We, we celebrate the preaching of the gospel and not the music stand on which the Bible and the, the iPad sit. We devote some financial resources to keeping all of the things going. But again, we want to see disciples who make disciples made in our midst. That's why we exist. That is why we exist. And so again, opportunity upon opportunity that, that the Lord has provided Buffalo City Church in, in, the, in the last three years and continues to into the future. And we together, could we devote some energy that we dedicated to setting up in this space, walking in a Sunday morning like this morning and finding 25 tables set up in this room and realizing that we had to tear them down and we had no knowledge of it. Could we devote some of that energy to making disciples who make disciples? Could we devote some financial resources that we would have dedicated to a facility? When we outgrew this space, because we would outgrow this space, friends, we were like looking down the road and we were saying, what are we going to do? Like all those kids back there in that locker room, they're like overflowing out into the hallway. And these kids over here that are just in the hallway already. And we're saying to ourselves, could we devote some of these financial resources that we would have had to use to dedicate to a facility? Could we make disciples who make disciples? Could we find new corners of encouragement amongst those who have joined us? Friends, we are so excited to have new people in our midst. What a blessing. What a blessing to have people around us 
who, who have faithfully served the Jamestown community for decades and decades. What a, what a wonderful opportunity to make disciples who make disciples. <laughs> All of these things, yes, 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 more yeses. I was asked this week what my life verse is. And full disclosure, it was my mom who asked me that. She asked me what my life verse is, and I, I thought about it for a moment. I was like, I don't think I've ever thought about that. And so Rebecca and I had a conversation about it, and she shared me. And I, and I said, I, you know what, I've never thought about it. My immediate thought was like, how could I pick? What, it, what, what, there's so much, but anyway, that doesn't matter. I'll tell you the verse, though, that has gone through in my head time and time again throughout this entire merger process over the course of the last several months. It's Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. When we first sat around the table with a transition team who were just trying to get to know us and our leadership, and, and they were saying to us, like asking us all of these questions, and we're answering all of these questions. It was sort of like a speed dating session. We were sitting around this table and we were talking about, you know, like philosophy of ministry and talking about myself. And they're looking at me and they're like, is this guy a heretic? I don't know. We need to we need to sit down and have a have a conversation about what this might look like. When I sat around that table, we, I felt affection. And now I'm not like an overly emotional guy. I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty like, give me the details. And I was concrete, sequential, just boom, 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 boom. Like love checklist, love organization. We sat around that table and we have found like-minded brothers and sisters serving, serving the Lord with the gospel here in Jamestown. And I said, let's be a family. Let's be a family. Let's grow together. The Lord stirred in me affection in that moment. And as this process has gone on, I've seen the Lord stir affection for one another in you also. And I'm so encouraged by that. I'm blown away by what the Lord is doing in the hearts and the minds of those who call Buffalo City Church home and those who are new to Buffalo City Church also. Let's make that our aim. Let's continue to grow there. How can we, what Paul writes to the Romans in Chapter 12, verse 10, how can we continue to outdo one another in showing honor? Last week, you remember we were in chapter 7, tough chapter in 1 Corinthians, and our application for last week was that the world brings comparison, but Jesus brings contentment. You want to know where a healthy place to compare is? Right here. Paul actually like sets up this competition for the church in Rome. He says, love one another with brotherly, outdo one another it's showing affection. He like, it's competitive in nature. It's a, it's a healthy competition. Young people, young people in this room, younger than me, we're usually bogged down by comparison, usually more than seasoned folks because we have ambitions and we are excited and we want to take life and do something dramatically spectacular with it. And and honestly, what that leads to a lot of times is competition with other people, with our peers. Let's take a deep breath. Again, seasoned people, you've lived through those ambitions. You've lived through those aspirations. But this morning, I'm going to challenge all of us in this room, all of us in this room, 
as we continue to proceed in the process of becoming one church, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Graciously show one another Jesus at every turn, in every conversation, in every interaction, even in disagreement. Don't dishonor others by bottling up grievance like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Make your ambition to outdo one another in showing honor. Let me give you one more practical way that this can work itself out. Think about Colossians 4, 6, and I love this verse. I love this verse. I think it'll be on the screen. Um, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is beautiful because this is an intersection with our text this morning in 1 Corinthians 8. And even though the fact that I planned this sermon series well in advance of even this merger being a small little thing, the Lord knew what we needed to hear this morning. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What does salt do? What does salt do? It makes things more palatable. 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 It makes things taste better. What else does it do? It preserves things. Makes them last longer. What does speech that is always gracious, seasoned with salt, look like? Speech that is seasoned with salt is not always about the content. Paul wants the Colossians to speak the truth. And even what Blaze read from Ephesians 4 a minute ago, we saw that we, saw that we are to build one another speaking truth in love. Paul wants the Colossians in this verse, he wants them to speak the truth. As you're going to see today in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he wants them to speak the truth, but he wants them to consider the manner in which the truth is communicated. He wants them to consider the way that they say it. Not just what they say, but the way that they say it. This has been a a marriage-long lesson for me at which I've gotten maybe 2% better. Speech seasoned with salt is not about the content. Paul wants them to the Colossians to consider the manner in which the truth is communicated. And we're going to see that in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in a second here too. Have you ever had someone say something really hard to you? It's like a really difficult truth, but, but they did it so kindly and so gently and so graciously that you didn't even realize it was a hard truth until later? That's speech that's seasoned with salt. Truth made palatable. Have you ever had someone say something to you that has stuck with you for years and years? Wisdom and a truth that sticks with you. That is speech that is seasoned with salt. It's preservable. This is a practical way we can outdo one another in showing love bridling our tongues like James says and using them to build up and to not tear down. Those, this is speaking truth and love, again, like Paul says in Ephesians 4. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like, are like a sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
May our tongues be those that bring healing and not harm, build up and not tear down, love one another in humility, and always, always be committed to the truth. So, again, the challenge, would you join me in outdoing one another and showing honor as a church to one another? How can we practically apply that this week? Don't grumble and complain behind the backs of others. Don't compromise truth. Listen well. Seek to understand how others receive the things that you say. How they might hear the words that you're speaking. Don't shy away from hard conversations, but season the conversation with salt. Make it palatable. Make it preservable. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. Now again, this all intersects beautifully with our text. So look down at your Bible and you're going to see chapter 8. Now we're going to find a cultural thing happening here that doesn't necessarily, at least at first glance, intersect with our world. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, Larry has some in the back and he'd be happy to hand you one. Just put your hand in the air and he'll bring you one. And, uh, and then you can see this text in front of you this morning. We're actually going to read the whole, whole chapter. Let me read, do that first before we go any farther. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Hmm. We all make a lot of assumptions in our daily life. Assumptions that oftentimes aren't motivated by love. Assumptions that are often not motivated by love. And Paul wants the Corinthians to notice here that they are called to build one another up in love and not to be 
puffed up with what he says, puffed up in knowledge. Being right with the information makes little difference if our hearts are wrongly motivated. Being right with the information makes little difference if our hearts are wrongly motivated. And that's what we want to key on this morning. Right information, meaningless without the right heart. And so Paul discusses three things that relate to love in this section. And there are probably paragraph breaks for you. Verses 1 through 3, then verses 4 through 6, and then 7 through 13. That's how we're going to break up this text. And Paul discusses three things that relate to love and how the Corinthians should approach them. How should the Corinthians approach these things? So the three things this morning, he contrasts, not necessarily contrast, but tells us how they interact together. Love and knowledge. And then love and truth. And then finally, love and conscience. And how these things interact together. So look at with me the first three verses. Love and knowledge. Paul starts talking about knowledge here. And he starts out by saying, now considering food offering offered to idols. Now again, this is not something that culturally immediately like resonates with us. Food offered to idols is not something that really is a concern. But in Corinth, there was a pagan temple almost on every corner. And many of these temples were constructed for worship of lots of random different deities, Roman, Greek, anything. It was a very syncretistic culture. And in these places, sacrifices would be continually being offered to these random deities. And different parts of the animals would be sacrificed. And many times the meat of the animals sacrificed in these temples would then be taken out and sold in the market. So if you went to the market to buy a chunk of meat, you very well could be getting something that had been sacrificed to an idol in one of these pagan temples that was on every corner. And so for the Corinthians, this was a, a reality. They said, oh, are we going to eat this meat? And if I do, am I eating something that was sacrificed to an idol? Now, Paul addresses knowledge, right? He, he first talks about knowledge. And so we kind of begin to see another division. We've seen a lot of divisions. Paul, earlier in the, in the letter, wants to tell the Corinthians that they need to be unified. But we see another division potentially here. Those who think it's okay to eat meat especially if there's a chance that it was sacrificed to an idol and those who, who think, didn't think it was okay. And so Paul says that all believers have knowledge. We know that all of us possess knowledge. He says at the end of verse 1, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So what is Paul saying? Depending on the maturity of the believer, there are varying degrees of understanding of how that knowledge actually plays out. So he says, you all have knowledge. You all know what it means, what all this is. However, however, how you apply it 
people are at varying stages of their journey on how to apply the knowledge that they have. Sort of like when you learn to read. Right? When you learn to read, you first learn your alphabet, and then you begin to sound out words or identify various words. And then after that, once you get the words down, then you begin to comprehend. No one immediately wakes up one day and begins reading and fully comprehending everything that they're digesting. You move on to more complex things after you get to the basics down. And so there were those in Corinth who had this knowledge, Paul says, they have this knowledge, but the implications for them in the Corinthian church were unclear. What is it that I do with this knowledge now? They had begun to learn to read, but they hadn't yet begun to learn to comprehend. So we have this knowledge, what do we do with it? And this is where I said we make a lot of assumptions in our world and a lot of assumptions that aren't always motivated by love. And this is where our assumptions come in. We often assume that everyone is in the same place in, in, in applying the knowledge that we have. Well, I know this to be true. It's, it's in God's word. But the actual outworking and application of that truth is in a varying place. We all want to be working at applying the gospel and the truth of God's word, but we're not all in the same place. So Paul tells the Corinthians that if they focus on the knowledge they have, they will be puffed up. If they focus on the knowledge, they will be puffed up. Well, I have this knowledge, so okay, I'm doing well. But if the focus, on, if the focus is on loving one another, that will dissolve the divisions among them. So, again, being right with the information makes little difference if our hearts are wrongly motivated. Loving one another is our motivation as a church. And now, getting knowledge and understanding is not something that should be discarded. In fact, the, the author of Proverbs 1.7 says it very clearly. He says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. From a biblical perspective, wisdom is important. Knowledge is important. Instruction is important but should be a rightly applied in love. So we have this love and knowledge, but then in verse 4, Paul moves into love and truth. So Paul's just going to lay it out for them. This is the truth. This is the truth that, that needs to be applied to this particular situation as it pertains to food being sacrificed to idols. And he just unpacks the realities of the situation. He says, an idol has no real existence. Right? A false god has no real existence. This truth is foundational for our living as, a, as Christians and for the church in Corinth. The idols that this meat was being sacrificed to or these animals were being sacrificed to had no existence. And Paul's argument then is, well, it's of little consequence. It's honestly of little consequence. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says that God is one. There's one God. There is one God. And you should love him by making your whole life about him. That's what, he, that's what that text communicates to us. And Paul doesn't shy away from the truth here, but he desires to let the Corinthians know that it would be unloving for them to not rightly apply the truth. So again, speaking the truth in love. Paul gives them the truth, the grounds, the foundation 
for the reality of what it means to sacrifice or eat food sacrificed to idols. God's oneness, the non-existence of other gods and lords is the grounds for rightly understanding and applying this passage. And so the truth of the matter is that eating meat in this manner makes little difference, Paul says. So again, he begins the text by saying, you all have knowledge. You all are in a different place in applying that knowledge. Here's the foundational truth. But then he moves into a matter of conscience. A matter of conscience. And we see this beginning in verse 7. In verse 7. Look at what he says in the second half of this verse. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So, again, they may have the right knowledge, or maybe not, but they may have the right knowledge, but because of past experience, because of things that have happened before to them and around them, they may not, they may not be able to handle it in their conscience. They may not know how to rightly apply the truth that Paul gives in verses 4 through 6. So, it's important to understand that for the Christian, the knowledge of the truth is vital, but needs to be weighed, needs to be weighed in relationship to others and their application of the truth. (laughs) So, what do I mean by that? What does that mean? It means... Just because you can doesn't mean you should. That's what Paul's arguing. You want to boil this whole chapter down, just because you can doesn't mean you should. You say, why not? I'm free. I have Christian liberty. I can do that which I desire. Paul says, no, because others' consciences are at stake. And the Christian conscience is an incredibly important thing. And oftentimes, sometimes, it's a very fragile thing. And while our consciences are being informed by the knowledge of the truth, the the knowledge that God is one, it can in some instances lack the necessary application of any given known truth. And because of this, this is the case. In some instances, we must ask the question, just because I can, does that mean I should? And the answer to that question is, what about the people around me? It is a self-consumed posture to say, just because I can, I will. It is an others-focused looking at their interests and weighing them more highly than ours that leads us to say, just because I can, maybe I shouldn't. Paul says, wounding another's conscience is sinning against him in verse 12. Why? Because it's elevating your own interests above those of others. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 4. He says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. My own interests must be sacrificed for the sake of love and building others up. That's what Paul says. My interests, your interests, O Corinthians, your interests... Buffalo City Church need to be sacrificed for the building up of others in love. So, consider then, in conclusion, for us as the people who are involved in the local church, who have professed Christ, 
who said that we are in Christ, who said that we desire to follow Christ, what are we unwilling to give up for the sake of loving brothers and sisters? What are we unwilling to give up for the sake of loving brothers and sisters? This text is about self-sacrifice. It's about saying, I can, but should I? Where's the line for you? Is it time? I just don't have enough time to spend with others to build them up in love. Or I go to work and I have a problem on my desk when I get there and there's a problem on my desk when I leave and I don't think that I can really invest in the life of another person in a one-on-one discipleship relationship or in a community group because I'm just dealing with problems all day and then someone has a spiritual reality that they need to work through and I just, I can't, I just don't have time. Or is it energy? I got a house full of kids, I got a stressful job, I got a honey-do list, I got grocery shopping to do, I'm wiped out, I'd really love to love others and build them up, but I just need some me time. Money, material, I think this list goes on and on. Would you give up your car for the sake of love? Would you self-sacrificially give up your house? What about your retirement account? (laughs) Yeah, God's not calling me to that. Are you sure? Would we know if he was? Maybe we've labeled those things untouchable. I don't think that God has. As a Christian, you're called to be a disciple who makes disciples. We can't find spare hours in the week to engage others and believers and unbelievers alike with the truth of the gospel. Maybe we need to downsize some things. Maybe we need to downsize things so we don't spend so much time maintaining, so much time repairing, so much time cleaning so that we can devote an hour a week to building up another in love. Just because we can, does that mean that we should? Again, we could go on and on here. Where's the line for you? You know where it is in your heart. Maybe you need to dig forward a little bit, but it's there. There's a line there. What's the line that you're unwilling to cross for the sake of love? And the reality is, if we're followers of Jesus, we just can't pick and choose our spots. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Jesus calls us to follow him. And that means loving others sacrificially. Loving others sacrificially. That's a nice little blah that comes out when we start talking about Christianity. But if we're really going to define it, if we're really going to think about what love is, love that doesn't cost you anything isn't love at all. It's convenience-based niceness. Love that doesn't cost us anything isn't love at all. It's convenience-based niceness. And we need to move our brain into that position. Love must cost something. It must cost us something. We can't pick and choose our spots. 
It means loving others sacrificially. Is there any greater love than than Christ on the cross? No. Emphatically, no. There is no greater act of love. Jesus giving himself up for his enemies, not even people that he were right with him or right with God. People who were alienated and hostile in mind towards God and said, nah, don't need it, not interested. God, my creator, I'm good. I'm doing just fine by myself. My heart is beating. There's oxygen in my lungs. I'm doing okay. Jesus gave himself up for us, his enemies, so that we might not die, but so that we might live with our creator for all of eternity. The Corinthians needed to give up the consumption of meat in certain instances in order that others' consciences would remain intact. That seems like such a simple thing. I like meat. I like to eat a steak. Would I be willing to give it up if someone's conscience was was on the line? This is a small-scale picture of self-sacrificial love. We were made right with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and we must urgently follow Jesus into self-sacrifice. You say... Well, whenever I do something, and whenever something costs me something, and I love someone, they run me over. You know it. You've experienced that. Uh, a, a dramatic outpouring where you put yourself out there and love someone and knew it was going to cost you something, and they just ran right over you. You know it. You know it's happened to you. But friends... We are not loving self-sacrificially because of the results. We are loving self-sacrificially because Jesus did and because he calls us to it. Jesus' act of self-sacrifice was and is often met with rejection, derision, slander, and hate. But that didn't prevent him from acting self-sacrificially. And so, we ask ourselves the question, how can we build one another up in love? And this text gives us some really specific ways. Considering the interests of others. Considering where others' application of the knowledge of the truth is. Where am I in my application of the knowledge of the truth? And where might this other person be? Are we in the same place or different places? How does that inform my interactions with others? What is the Holy Spirit prompting me to sacrifice this week to build up brothers and sisters and proclaim the gospel? Again, love that doesn't cost us anything isn't love. Rather, it's just convenience-based niceness. Acting in love is hard work, but it is the most important work we have as Christians. Friends, it is the greatest privilege that we have. It is the greatest privilege that we have. We were unable to love in this way until God demonstrated his love for us in Christ Jesus. We have the strength, 
the power, the will, the desire to love in the way that Jesus loves us. <laughs> what an incredible privilege. You and I can do this now. We can think less about ourselves and think about others more. We can act on our interests less and act on the interests of others more. Friends, we'll be tempted in these moments where an opportunity to love comes our way. We will be tempted to say it costs too much. And it will cost you, guaranteed. But where's the line? What's too much? When we're tempted to give up because it costs a lot, we must remember Hebrews 12.3. Write this down. Remember this. When an opportunity to love comes your way and it seems to cost you too much. Hebrews 12.3. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jesus endured hostility. Jesus endured threats, derision, hate. He did it so that we could be encouraged. Not exclusively, but he did it. The way that the author of Hebrews argues is that we should look to him, to our example so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The hostility that Jesus experienced on the road to Calvary was not enough to stop the greatest, most enduring act of self-sacrificial love ever known, ever history of the universe, for all of eternity. And so, as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as you go from this place and you ask yourself these questions, what is too much? Or how can I build up another in love this week? We may find our strength. We must find our strength and endurance in Christ as we love one another in a self-sacrificial way. Now remember, this is all made possible by the truth of the gospel. In order to love and to lay down our lives for the lives of others, we must recognize that this is all made possible by the truth of who God is and what He did for us in Christ Jesus. There is no other way. You will attempt and you will fail apart from the strength that Christ provides. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I have literally no idea what you're talking about, please come talk to me. The good news of the gospel is for all people. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how difficult your day is today or tomorrow, no matter what you've, where you've been in your past, the good news of Jesus Christ is for you. It is the very truth on which we rest everything, every single thing. He says it very clearly, Jesus does in John's gospel, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he means is, apart from me, you cannot do anything that pleases God. We need Jesus Christ. We need him desperately. It is incredibly important this morning that you do not walk out of this place 
without at least pursuing answers to some of the questions that you have if you're saying, I have no idea what that means. It's vital. So, again, this week, may we find strength and endurance in Christ as we lay down our lives for each other each and every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you and praise you this morning that you are our strength. Lord God, that you provide for us strength and that you have sent your Holy Spirit to empower us and encourage us to convict us of sin and to make us new. God, may we as your people this morning recognize the self-sacrificial love that we are called to as those who have put our trust in Jesus. God, our hearts are oftentimes far from you during our weeks. God, we often elevate our own interests above the interests of others. God, we oftentimes believe that the thing that we need in the moment is the most important thing in the entire universe. Lord God, that we are the center of it. God, but we openly acknowledge right now before you, God, that we are not the center of the universe. God, that it is your glory, it is your fame that motivates us. God, that as your people, we would not be reluctant or hesitant, or that we would not grow weary in doing good. God, that we'd be built up and build one another up in love. God, what a great privilege it is to worship together here in this place for one final time. God, you have established something. God, and you have made yourself known. God, you have provided, you have sustained. God, you have encouraged. God, you have moved us toward maturity. God, may that not end. God, may our desire May our affections, may all that we are be oriented towards you and ordered around you. God, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.
Indeed, we do adore you, King of the universe, Jesus. God, we praise you this morning for all that you are doing and all that you've done. For every place that you've had us this week, God, and for everything that you've created in us. God, thank you that you have made us new creations. Through the shed blood of Jesus, Lord, may we live as those who are called, as those who have seen the goodness of the Lord. God, may we taste and see this week that the Lord is good. God, may we recognize and see that your love endures forever. Lord God, and may we follow you into self-sacrificial love in every corner of our lives. God, we praise you. What a great benefit it is to be called sons and daughters of God. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Just a couple of things before you head out this morning. And actually, if you could potentially stick around, we're going to load out a handful of stuff, especially some music equipment this morning. Um, And so if you could just hold on and maybe help break some stuff down, that would be incredibly helpful. If you do have a vehicle maybe that you'd be willing to to load out into too, we'd love for you to stick around and just, just help with that process. Just chairs. Just chairs need to be stacked. We're not loading out? Maybe. Okay, okay. All right. So just hold on, and if you hang around for a while, we may have some more instructions for you. Um, We meet in community throughout the course of our week. There are community groups listed back there. You hear us say this every week. We'd love to have you plug in. We'd love to have you plug into community group. Um, that we, it's time of encouragement where we discuss the sermon, where we eat together, where we live together in community. It's a great opportunity for, for that to happen. If you have any questions about that, go ahead and ask me. We'd love to, love to, uh, to have you join us in one of those. Um, we don't take an offering during our corporate worship service, but there are baskets in the back on the table as well uh, for uh, tithes and offerings to go into. We're going to continue giving separately for a sm- small amount of time here until we get all our accounts together. Uh, for the First Baptist, you'll see one. In Buffalo City Church, you'll see another back there as, as well. Um, last thing that I want to say to you this morning is if you signed up for our membership class this morning, or this afternoon, that starts at 3, we're actually going to postpone that. Um, some folks, the weather has prevented them from being here this morning um, who wanted to attend that. So we're going to postpone that for two weeks. March 10th, we will meet in the Buffalo City Church community room at 3 p.m. for the membership class. Um, I thank you for your flexibility on that. We just want to get as many people into that first one as we possibly can um, in this uh, the upcoming week. So um, just circle that date. If you had signed up or that you were per, uh, that you were going to uh, be presenting some material in there, sign up that or circle that date on your calendar, March 10th at 3 p.m. and uh, and we'll reschedule for that for that date. Again, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Go in grace this week.